Good morning. One thing to kind of uh, turn your attention to, there will not be a new members class. That's good because some of you are like, I want to go to that, but I'm not ready this week. But I, Pastor Gary's under the weather, so we'll keep you posted. Hopefully that will start next week, but there's no new members class. Sunday school classes do start right after this. Now, before we get going in the um, the, the sermon, the, the better series, we just we got kind of a, a fun, exciting thing to do as a church. And so about five years ago, when... I was living out in Montana and uh, praying through, okay, Lord, what, what, what do you have next for us? I thought he was calling me back to lead a church. And so as I started kind of figuring out, okay, what kind of church should I be a part of? There were two very important components for me. One uh, was that the church would have a lot of history. A lot of history, right? Now, I didn't know I was going to find a church that had 295 years or 291 years at the time of history. But I wanted to have a lot, a lot, a lot of history because I am... Uh, a little bit chaotic, and only a couple bad decisions away from wrecking everything, right? And so I wanted to be a part of a church that was here long before I got here and would be here long after I left, right? And so 295 years of church, that was really important. But the second one that I thought was just as important was I wanted to be a part of a church with kind of a, a distributed leadership. Right, I've been parts of churches where I was a church planner. I had worked at a very large church that was started by a church planner. And in some of those kind of environments, uh, you kind of have like the charismatic personality at the top leading all the things. And that seemed really, really dangerous to me, right? And so I wanted to be a part of a church with distributed leadership, particularly that function in the way that the Bible tells us to function, which is what he tells us. He gives us elders to kind of oversee the church. So the word Presbyterian, that happens to be the type of denomination we are. Don't get too caught up in that. You have questions, be happy to chat with you on it. But that word Presbyterian just comes from the word presbyter, which means elder. So the whole kind of function of this, our church, for 295 years, the reason it's been here, the reason it will be here, is because God, like he did in the New Testament, had appointed and ordained leaders to lead the church. So we have elders that oversee the church. So we'll tell you that our church is governed by the elders. They make sure we stay focused on mission and vision, right? They help make sure that our church is spiritually healthy, and they make sure that our staff has the resources necessary to kind of lead the different environments, right? So elder governed, and so that's really, really good news. I announced a couple of weeks ago, and I'll tell you a little bit about it today and much more about it next week, that I am heading to Florida in a few weeks. Moving to Florida, be part of a church called First Presbyterian Church of Bartow, Florida. Kind of a restart, replant little church that I get to go love on and use the very few gifts I have, which are starting things and convincing people to join me in it, right? And so we're going to go do that. But what I want you to know, <laughs> I hope you find great comfort in this, is this church was here 295 years. It'll be here for another 295 because we have plenty, plenty, plenty of great leaders, godly people chasing after the kingdom. And so you have a great group of staff and a incredible group of elders discerning and leading and holding us to the mission and vision that God has given our church. You still have the same senior pastor. His name is Jesus. Those things will be all right. But what I want to do now is actually introduce you to one of our new elders. It's Jim Elmore. So Jim, come on up. We presented you uh, three elders a couple weeks ago to vote on as kind of a slate, but Jim is a newbie. This is his first round of being an elder, and so we get to do, like we've done for 295 years, we get to ordain Jim. So what's going to, ask, what's going to happen is I'm going to ask him some questions. You're going to be able to hold him accountable to these questions. You're going to find great comfort in that, going, Jim is one of our guys. He's going to chase after the kingdom with us, right? And so I'm going to ask him some questions, and then after that, I'm going to ask you a question, and then we're going to pray over him. For 2,000 years, the church has been laying hands on people and commissioning them for the work of of the gospel. 2,000 years. For our church, nearly 300 years, and so you get to see history at work in God's kingdom and the Spirit. So this is Jim Elmore, and Jim, I have a couple of questions for you, but what I want you to know before we get started on the question is what his term, his title really is. Jim will be a ruling elder at our church. That's the title, and that seems like it has lots of power. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know what the word, the, when we use the word ruling, it doesn't mean like ruling with authority. You know what it means? It literally comes from the definition of a ruler, a, a measuring stick. So Jim and nine other elders in our church are charged with measuring the spiritual health of our church. So he is charged with helping you all walk in light 
and in God's kingdom and God's favor and God's mercy and God's grace as bearers of the gospel. Ruling elder. So that's what the word means. So Jim doesn't have a lot of authority, but he gets the opportunity to walk with you and challenge you and pray with you and for you. Right? And so Jim, I got some questions to you in that. Here's the first one you can answer with, I do. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you boldly declare Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church? Do you? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the Word of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, the unique witness to Jesus Christ and the authority for Christian faith and life? Do you? Relying on the Holy Spirit, do you humbly submit to God's call on your life, committing yourself to God's mission, and fulfilling your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and guided by our confessions? Do you? Uh, this one you answer with I will. Will you be governed by ECO? That's our Presbyterian denomination, Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians, by polity and discipline. And will you lead, uh, and will you be accountable to your fellow elders, deacons, and pastors as you lead? Will you? Will. will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Will you? Will. will you be a faithful elder? watching over the people in their worship, nurture, and service to God, will you? Now, to you all. You ready? And you can answer it with, uh, we do, but let me get all the way through it. Do we, the members of the congregation, accept Jim Elmore as an elder, chosen by God through the voice of the congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ according to the word of God? Do we agree to pray for him and with him to encourage him to respect his decisions and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is the head of the church. Uh, please respond by saying, we do. Okay. So, Jim, if you'll come down here to the floor. Uh, what we get to do now, really, really exciting, is we get to lay hands on Jim and pray for him and commission him to the works of the service. Donna, do you mind coming up here as well for this? I didn't tell you you're coming. This is Donna Elmore. This is Jim's wife. And we all know this is never a one-person thing. It is a two-become-one-flesh. And so if you want to kind of face the congregation, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for them. Now, if you're a current or former elder at our church, or you are a staff member at our church, I would encourage you to go and come on down here and pray with us. Now, if you want to come anyway, you can come down and pray too, but we're going to lay hands on them. And for those of you who don't come, what I want you to do, it's going to be a little awkward, but it's fun for us, is I want you to just kind of put your hand out and kind of imagine this line that's coming from your pew all the way to Jim and Donna as we pray. So I'll give us another minute to come on up here. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, um, <laughs> so amazing. And you made a declaration to Peter when he said that you were the Christ, that you told him that you would build your with that proclamation. And so for 2,000 years, God, you've been building your church. You've been leading it. You've been guiding it. And you have declared that the gate of hell will not overcome it. And so, God, I praise you for the history of your church for 2,000 years. And I praise you for the history of this little local congregation, God, for the last 300 years. And, Lord, I pray right now for Jim and Donna. I pray that you would give Jim supernatural wisdom, like wisdom that couldn't come from his mind, couldn't even come from his experience or his education, but wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit deep within his heart and soul. Would you give him supernatural wisdom, God, to care for, to love, to guide our church? And God, would you give him supernatural compassion? Would you give him, John and Donna, supernatural compassion? As you looked out on the congregation once and you had compassion because they were like a sheep without a shepherd, would you fill their heart with your love and grace and mercy and would they be extenders of it, of your gospel and your grace everywhere they go? So God, would you fill them with supernatural wisdom? And would you fill them with supernatural compassion? And finally, God, would you give them supernatural courage? Or two, that only could come from your spirit. To go and do, and go and serve, and go and say, whatever it is you call, go and serve, and do, and say, 
to whomever you've called them for. And so God, would you strengthen them? Would you allow their light to so shine before men that people in our community, in our world, and in our church could see your good work in them and therefore glorify our, you in heaven, God? We thank you for their ministry and we thank you for their continued commitment to your gospel and to your church. And would you bless them? Would you pour out your resources on those out as I know they already do to this church and our community in the world? And God, would because we pray this, because we paused and commissioned Jim for the work of elder, God, do far beyond what we can ever hope or imagine in their lives and in our church. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you all give Jim a hand? Thank you, guys. Thank you. I told them they couldn't start my clock back there until we were done with that, just so you know. It was very important to me. Um, so we are wrapping up a series called Better. If you're brand new with us, here's kind of how that, how that works. Um, we typically teach in kind of a, a series or sub-series, and the reason being is it's just there's a lot of scripture and a lot to kind of take in, and so most of the time it takes us a, a long way around the barn to get to kind of a big idea, and uh, particularly this has taken us 15 weeks to get all the way around it, and uh, what we've been doing each and every week is we've been challenging through the scriptures each of us to take whatever that next step was with Jesus, and so last week you got to choose people over pride, and this week you yeah, have a pretty important one, but while this week 15 of a, of a series is kind of a sub-series of a much larger series called the Gospel of Luke, um, the Luke was a, a a medical doctor, real person, 2,000 years ago in human history, who was hired by a Roman official, we believe, to go and research Jesus, right? At this point, Jesus had made some real crazy declarations. He said he was God, and he told people that he would give them his spirit and his, his comfort, and that he would be an advocate before the Father, and he came and he said the kingdom of heaven is near and at hand, and people didn't like it. Particularly religious people didn't like it because it was messing with their religion, right? It was messing with their power and their authority because Jesus had all the power and authority. And most of the time, people with power, when they're flawed and broken, they leverage their power for their pleasure, usually at the expense of someone else's pain, right? And so you got religious officials who were not happy about Jesus, and you definitely have Roman officials and government officials who go, and they given their allegiance not to the government, but to this guy who said he was God. And then not only did he say he was God, they were so angry they murdered him for it. And then he came back to life. Then after he came back to life, there was this crazy confidence. Like throughout human history, everybody will tell you, if you go back and look 2,000 years ago, something had to happen. If it wasn't the resurrection, something had to happen because there was just this massive movement of people. And unlike most massive movements, usually it's because things go well, it goes better for you, and people join in because they see this massive, yeah, things, life gets easier, right? But for the Christians, it actually got worse. Many of them at this point, as Luke is writing this, are already being murdered for their faith. They were declaring Jesus as Lord as opposed to Caesar as Lord. And they were actually being brutally beaten and murdered for that belief. And guess what? Every time it happened, more people started following. So this guy named Theophilus, who works for Caesar, <laughs> has this decision he's got to make. Hey, these people are saying Jesus is Lord, and they're dying for it. But as they're dying, they're dying with such joy and confidence in the, the coming kingdom. Right? And so he hires Luke to go figure out whether or not he should stop saying Caesar is Lord and start saying this homeless carpenter who declared he was God, told us that we should call on him, told us that we should call on the name of the Lord and find salvation in him. So told us all those things and then got murdered for it and then came back to life. He started wondering if that's who he should put all of his allegiance and focus on. So what does he do? Well, he has resources. He has affluence and influence. So he hires Luke. And Luke goes and studies these claims. In fact, Luke chapter 1, verse 4, it tells us that he went and gathered all sorts of documents, listened to all sorts of oral uh, reports, uh, oral traditions, and went and sat down with the eyewitnesses. And he says he writes these things so that we, uh, orderly accounts, so that we could have certainty of the things we've been taught. And so for 60 plus weeks, almost 70 weeks now, we have been trying to get certainty about the things that Jesus taught. 
But what I need you to understand, if you're brand new with us, there was one thing that Jesus taught on. One thing. It's not just on salvation, and you pray a prayer, you get beamed up to heaven, that God will make your life better, that he'll forgive you your sins. All true, all true. But they all fell underneath the umbrella of a much bigger conversation. And that conversation was on the kingdom of God. By the way, this is week 15 of the series, and we've been using this cursive font. It's going away next week, so you can be happy about that. But all this was teaching on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And the big aha is you can have access to the kingdom of God now. 92 times in the four Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are four biographies about Jesus' life. Uh, 92 times Jesus references the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He references them interchangeably. And what he does is he gives us a stark contrast between the kingdom of this earth, the brokenness in this world, and his heavenly kingdom. And what you see throughout the scriptures and throughout human history is Jesus had continued to invite people into his kingdom. So when those people were dying and Theophilus was watching and they had so much joy and Luke was going, what's going on here? But they were so joyful is that they could taste and see the kingdom of heaven now and then for all eternity. So this is a both and. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven to you, meaning today you can access it. And Jesus is going to rule and reign. And at one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. And at that moment, all across our world, there will be no more tears, no more pain, and no more sorrow. Everything sad in our world will become untrue. That's what we'll get to experience. But even before we get to experience that, he says that we can have access to the kingdom of God. So each week we've been going, how do we gain a little bit more access? So we've been making a choice each week. Where do we want to go? How do we want to do it? And this week, finally, we're going to look at this narrow door, and this is the final choice. And I certainly hope you can make it. And it, it's grave the consequences of not making this choice. And so if it is possible for you to be able to make this choice, I want you to already to know that is a work of the Holy Spirit in this place. The idea is that your antenna would go up and you would even consider making this bold choice is already a work that God has been doing in you and around you. Got it? Really, really, really hefty choice. Really, really grave consequences. So uh, this is going to be a sober-minded talk. Probably won't be real funny. And I want you to hear it from my heart to yours. As someone goes, I want this so fully for you. So here's the choice we're making today. You get to choose obedience or disobedience. Obedience or disobedience. Now, I'm going to say something that kind of uh, theologically gets a little confusing. Uh, so God is at work. God does what only God can do. and He is always bending and shaping all things for our good and his glory at all times. He doesn't need us to do anything. He doesn't need us to perform. He doesn't need us in the club for the kingdom of heaven to show up. He doesn't need us to build the church. He can do that. He doesn't need any of those things, and yet he invites us into all of it. And so one of the things I see as a pattern in human history uh, is this, that our obedience almost always is followed by a work of God's omnipotence. You got it? Every time you see in the scripture where, where people obediently follow him, all the way from the beginning when Joshua is called into the promised land, and he says, consecrate yourself tomorrow, the Lord's going to do amazing things. And it says, as the bare soles of their feet touch the raging waters, at that moment, the rivers parted. Their obedience always is kind of met with God's omnipotent. So you're going, I just don't know if God's that big or that powerful, if he really does love me. And I promise you, every single time where we see him the most at work is when it's, it, it's moved in your faith of your obedience is always followed with God's all power, God's omnipotence. You write the check and Jesus is the one who puts the money in the bank, right? And so you can see it throughout human history. And what I just want so badly for you is for you all to make that decision to take an obedient step. But what I want you to hear about this obedient step is in the scriptures, this word obedience, this calling is typically met with uh, an urgency. You're going to see it today in the passage that this is an urgent call. This isn't something for you to go home and consider. This isn't something for you to spend weeks doing. We've had 15 weeks in the series. The call is for you to make the decision today to walk in obedience through this narrow gate. Got it? And because this is why this is really important, and you know this. When I'm talking about obedience, I'm not talking about delayed obedience or partial obedience. You got it? Because, think about this. If you ask your kid to go clean their room, and they look at you and say, I'll get to it tomorrow. You know, oh! 
oh, yes, so nice. He, he's going to do it tomorrow. What a sweet kid. Wow, he obeys well. Right? That's not what you do. You know that his delayed obedience, I don't know why I'm using he, like I'm talking about my own son, right? So uh, you know that their delayed obedience is actually what? It's just disobedience. It's just packaged in a different way. Or if you tell them to go clean their room and they take all the stuff, hypothetically, and they just shove it all underneath their bed, but then they vacuum the floor. You don't go, man, what a great child I have. They are so obedient. Let's go get ice cream, right? What happens there? You look at that partial obedience, just the vacuum floor, and what would you really still call it? You call it disobedience. You see this? Even in our own human lives, we understand that obedience is not partial, and it's definitely not delayed. So when we're talking about obedience, we're talking about two words that go with it. Full. And immediate. So the call today, with grave consequences, and candidly, I'm not sure we'll all make the decision. The call today, with grave consequences, is for you to be obedient and walk with the Lord. Today. Full and immediate. Right? So this has, I tell you, this whole thing complicates it because following God is painful at times, right? One of the things that I know, and I know it fully, and it still hasn't quite land, landed perfectly, is that I know, and you know, should know, that you are not responsible for the pain or discomfort your obedience to God causes other people, right? Because we have some calls to obedience, even in how we parent and how we shepherd our and we go, but they're going to feel uncomfortable. They're going to kind of be the outcast and go, yeah, I get it, but you're not responsible for the discomfort of that. You're responsible to either obey or not obey. So we're not responsible for the pain of our, that our obedience to God causes other people. So what that means is the most important thing is we got to figure out what God is telling us to do and then just do that. If we know it's God, we got to trust that as we make that obedient step, God is going to, he's going to, activate his omnipotence in our life and in our family and candidly this has never I haven't felt this in a more real way than my current situation so we began wondering after my dad got sick and then got better whether or not uh, we could do Pennsylvania long term right because my dad's 75 in fact right now both my mom and dad just had infusion therapy yesterday, have the Delta variant. They have gotten a vaccine. But even being that far, and, not, and like my brother's running and getting, going to the grocery store for him and all that kind of stuff, just being that far right now is just painful. And I don't know how many more years I got with them, but I'd like to have as many as possible. And I'd love for our kids to spend time with both sets of their grandkids. Last weekend, the reason we weren't here is because we were in uh, Georgia for Julie's brother's wedding. And just hanging out with family just is really, really significant. So we started wrestling through, God, is that what you're going to, is that what, is that next? Is that where you have us? And then started wrestling through, okay, well, let's not, let's not try to figure out what just is nice and easy for us, be next to family. Let's actually figure out what God wants for our lives. What has God called us obediently to do? And so late spring, early summer, uh, this opportunity in, uh, at First Presbyterian Church, same denomination in Bartow, came up, and I sent them my resume. I was sitting in the living room with my father and mother, talking about this place for two hours from them, and we decided when they were up here in May to send the resume, right? Kind of awkward to hit send, not really sure what's going to happen. God, it's up to you. And so we immediately started chatting with this church, and then uh, we... Uh, flew down in, in June, just Julie and I. Oh, I actually, we drove down, sorry. And we dropped our, our kids off in Flagler Beach a couple hours away for them to hang out with my parents. And we went to, to Barta to go kind of survey the area. It's just a place that we can raise our kids and just all sorts of complications. And the main one really is just the tension of loving this place. Our conversation over and over again, but it's such a fruitful ministry. This is the best <laughs> year of our entire lives. I mean, this is what we have and what we get to experience both in our church and our neighborhood and with our staff and elders is just far beyond our wildest dreams. God, I don't, okay, we're going to check it out because we want to be obedient, but it just be really, really hard to move. And so we kept going, God, if you would speak, we'll do it. But if you don't, then we're not. And so a um, couple days into it, we drove back to Flagler, spent time with the parents, and I called them and said, no. Just go, I, <laughs> we can't do it. Like, we love our church. Julie loves leading the coffee shop. We love our staff. And candidly, this has been the most fruitful 20 years of ministry year of my life. Not just out there, but in my own soul, right? And so we're going, I don't know if that's what, 
should do okay. We didn't hear you say no, God, but we definitely didn't hear you say yes. So we're just going to hold tight. So we said no. And then for the next several weeks, God continued to wake me up night after night. And every single day I was like, God, are you telling us we're supposed to go? We already said no. I don't even think we can go now. We literally came back and refinanced our house, right? Lots of fees, all kinds of stuff were going on. But week after week, for about four weeks, there was just this gut feeling, reading the scriptures, sitting still, that I was leading our family to be disobedient to God. Because we like you all. We love you all. We love the ministry here. And we are thrilled to do ministry, share the gospel requirements and responsibilities with you all. But about four or five weeks ago, it became evident to me that staying here would actually be an act of disobedience. So there's some neat things that I do love about the opportunity. One is I get to be close to my family. So, so important. Two, I, I really am wired to start things. You know this about me. I'm not much at sustaining. Just, I mean, there's just not, honestly, I just don't care about those things. You should, and you deserve for someone to care about those things, but I just want to start things. It's just how I'm built. I'm always built to the next frontier, and I can wear some people out in it, and I get that. And so you got some calling that you build to operate in a place to really replant the gospel into an entire community and change it really, really. That those things are important, being close to family, that. But candidly, this decision that, that was shared with you two weeks ago had less to do with those two things and more to do with this thing that this was. Now I can see it play out and understand a little bit more. I'm starting to see God's hand in it. But it was just a call to walk through a door that was pretty uncomfortable to walk through. But candidly, it was just out of obedience, right? Even if it didn't match call, it does. Even if it wasn't close to family, a responsibility in that is just to hear from God and do what he says. And so I want you to hear in this as we open up these scriptures is that's not just the responsibility of I and my family, we, right? That is a responsibility that each of you have. So as we open up these scriptures, we got to look at it and go, God, what are you telling me to do? What pathway are you telling me to walk down? And then I double-dog dare you with the hope and courage of the Holy Spirit to just take that next step. So I am so confident that the next season here is going to be the greatest season ever for this church because his omnipotence must always show that up after someone's obedience. So let's join in on that. So Jesus has been talking uh, for a while now, and several chapters back, so it's been months. It says that Jesus set his eyes on Jerusalem, meaning at some point he's going to go into that religious town, and he's going to defeat religion, and he's going to defeat the government all in one, you know, swoop of, you know, his death, burial, and then resurrection. And so he's been working slowly to get back into the kind of this uh, Mecca, wrong term, but this religious place where there's lots of pilgrimages that show up, right? All these people, and so he's going to get there kind of for his final act, right? And he's going to land in this little town called Bethany, and he's going to hang out with uh, some good friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he's going to prepare for this final act, this final battle where he's going to defeat the enemy, defeat death, and make a way where there is no way for us to fully experience the kingdom of heaven. So as he starts to do that, there's been lots of stops along the way. A lot of people are hearing about him making blind people see, lame people walk, dead people live. And so they're stopping him all the time. And Jesus just pauses in a moment to be interrupted. Really, really neat. Jesus allows himself to be interrupted because the kingdom of heaven happens every day. And a lot of times it happens in interruptions. So he keeps responding to these interruptions. Yesterday, last week we saw that Jesus responded to an interruption on the Sabbath and literally healed a woman. Because people matter more than policy, right? And so you see that happen, and now he's just continuing right after this, and now he's going to keep moving, setting his eyes towards Jerusalem. He's heading that way, and as he does, he stops and teaches. So this we find ourselves in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 22. Here's what it says. He went on his way through towns and villages. So Jesus is still moving. 
teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So he has a mission. The mission is actually to pay the price for our sins. Paul tells us this way in Romans that uh, for us, that the, the death is what we deserve. The wages or consequences of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. So what we deserve to pay is the punishment for our sins, and Jesus is literally moving to Jerusalem, heading that direction to actually pay that literal price for us. And so he's heading there, and, he, and now he, uh, so he, and he says this, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? So he goes, I know you're trying to save people. I know you're trying to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, but can we just talk honestly for a second? Like, is, is this going to work? Are you really going to save people in this? Like, you're just right here in front of us. Are you really going to figure out a way to save all mankind? Are you really going to? So it's asking a very honest question. How many people will be saved? Is it the whole room? Hey, Jesus, will you save all these people? Or is it 10% of them? How exactly does that work? And watch how he responds. Strive and enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So he gives them a literal choice. They go, hey, are many going to be saved? And he goes, well, you can choose right or left. Right's going to be a really, really narrow door. And it's going to get uncomfortable. You're probably going to have to suck in. Right? And you're going to have to squeeze through it. It might feel really claustrophobic at moments. You might wonder, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Right? Because the other one seems like, oh, that's a big flashing sign. It's got to be that way. And he goes, no, 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 no. Strive to enter the narrow door. And they're like, why are you talking about a door? We were talking about salvation. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what we're talking about too. The kingdom of heaven. There is a door and you have to get through it. And what he's about to explain is that he's actually that door, but it's narrow. And many, many, I tell you, seek to enter and will not be able. So let me speak frankly with you all online. And there are people in this room, people online, who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has paid the price. He's opened the door. He's done all the work. And he is pleading, and you get to walk right through it. His Holy Spirit is prompting you to, and many of us will choose our own path, and we'll go. We'll get to it later, and this isn't, what if you die right now? This isn't scare, fear-mongering. I'm not worried about you making it home safely today from the car. This isn't those things, so you hear me. But many of us can go, well, maybe one day. How about after I graduate? How about after I get the job? How about after we buy the house? Right now, it's just the wrong day for me to lean fully in the kingdom of heaven. And he's going, this is not something you put off till later. He says, many, many of you will, will strive to seek and enter, but you will not be able. And then he says this, 25 parable. He says this, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door. So he's invited people in. He's invited people in. Invited people in. Shut the door. And you began to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. And this is what he'll say. I do not know where you come from. So Jesus invites us into the kingdom. He calls us to a place of obedience. That's not partial. That's not delayed. Fool. No media. He invites us in, and some will wait till that door shuts. And they'll go, oh, oh, we want in. And he'll go, I don't know you. I don't know you. So what you see in this passage, really, really sad, is that it's both exclusive and inclusive. Inclusive to all of us. You want to walk through the door, you can. If you feel like right now the Holy Spirit's telling you to walk through the door, what that means is he's done work in your life, and you can. That is a work beyond your capability. You can but you also can decide not to. And then one day, all that will shut down, and you'll go, wait, I want to come down. I don't know you. I don't know you. You're not my brother. You're not my sister. You didn't receive the gift. So I want you to hear, this is a grave message with immediate call to respond. Watch what it says next. Then you will begin to say, but we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. 
right? I went to church. I went every Sunday. I was there on Easter and Christmas, and the next 15 weeks in a row, I went, and I learned, and I took notes, and then I joined the Sunday school class, and I even went, and I helped move people in at Lincoln University. I'm like, you don't get it. It's not just about doing these tasks. He's talking to a religious group. He's going, no, no, no. The way that you enter the kingdom is you receive it from me, and the only way you get into the kingdom is actually through Jesus. So he goes, yeah, you, if you're trying to do this workaround where somehow you get in the house without going straight through me, it is not a work of the gospel. It is not mercy and grace. It's based on your performance. And they're like, well, you things. And he's going to say, but he'll say, verse 27, but I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. All you workers of evil. It's harsh. Grave. That word evil, it could be really, uh, really offensive. One, I just say, it's accurate. And the reason I know that that's an accurate term is I know my own heart. I've been a Christian now for 30 years, and I'd like to see that there has been major movement and progress in my own soul, probably no more than the last year and a half, but so much movement, and yet, yet, yet the closer I get to God, and some of you experience this, the more aware I am of how dirty and gross I am. When the closer you get to pure white, you start noticing the blemishes in your own flesh and life. And so uh, he calls us all evil, but that word evil literally there, really, really important that you get this, literally means the opposite of justice. It's just the opposite of justice. It's uh, unrighteousness, a violation of God's standards. Now watch this, which brings divine disapproval. So that word evil just means that which hasn't been, been made righteous. So he's going, I'm offering this to you. You can't earn it. You can't produce it. And somebody goes, no, I got it from here. No, I'll get to it later. Nah, I don't really know that's the case. Nah, I'm not really that interested. And he's going, what happens is, I don't know you. You're not covered by me. And so you just live in this place of unrighteousness and without access to the kingdom. The only way you get into the kingdom is through me. And he's going to tell them to part. All you workers of evil. You thought that you were on the right team, but for the last 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, you've actually been working in opposition to the kingdom of heaven. You go, no, 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 I'm doing good things. And he said, but the kingdom of heaven isn't about your performance. The kingdom of heaven is an acknowledgement that your performance cannot make God love you. Your performance will never be good. No, I've been working so hard. Yeah, you've been creating these, these new rules and these new plans, and then you've been pressing that pressure down on your kids and grandkids that somehow if you perform well, God will love you. And so you've created your own religion. But all that was absent me, trying to circumvent me, is Jesus is going, I don't know you. I don't know you. You lived in a world where you thought you could make yourself righteous. And one day you'll stand before a perfect and holy God who will tell you you're not righteous on your own. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. So, so rough. It's appointed once for you to die. Then judgment. You live. You die. You're judged. That's the truth. It's the truth. You live. You die. And then you're judged. I know this is harsh. I know this is overwhelming. I want to get to preach at you one more time. I do want to come back for the 300 year anniversary. I'm lobbying for that now. I really am. But I want you to hear it. You live, and then you die, and then you're judged. You live, and then you die, and then you're judged. And if you want to be judged based on your own merit, you will get your wish. But the results will be really poor. And this is what he'll say. I don't know you. Depart from me, you evildoer. And everybody goes, ah, oh, that's so mean. Jesus is so mean. No, no, he's so nice. This is so nice, right? Even when you think about, Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, you know, he says, in this world you have trouble. <laughs> Take heart. I've overcome the world. And he invites us in. And they say, we don't know the way. And he says, yes, you do. And he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he makes this declaration. No one gets to the Father but through me. And you go, ah, oh, but that's so harsh. That's so exclusive. And it's like, no, it's just clear. If you're asking for directions to someplace, don't you want someone just to be really clear? You want me to give you lots of information? Oh, you know, there's this thing. Look for the tree stump. Maybe it's around the corner. Ah, yeah, you could probably get there if you think about it for a while. And, you know, just keep following the sun. What? Like, if you're going somewhere, what do you want to do? You want clear, concise directions. Not only do you want that, you don't even want to think about it. You just put it on your GPS, and you just do whatever you're told. 
Just do whatever you're told. Do whatever you're told. And so, but somehow Jesus goes, here's the reality. The way you access the kingdom of heaven is only through me. It's a narrow door. It's only through me. It doesn't even make sense. It's only through me. And you go, oh, that's so mean of Jesus. No, it's so gracious. It is so gracious of him to tell us directly how we get access to the kingdom of heaven, and it's only through him. And so he gives us a warning because he's gracious. And then he takes off all the responsibility. He says, many of you are going to try to perform, but you won't be able to perform good enough, so why don't you just finally just take a breath? You see, one of the things that happened to me in the last 18 months, uh, it's really interesting, is that, you know, my dad got really sick. I mean, he died in an emergency room. Right? Two minutes, dead. Two minutes without a heartbeat. Dead. And then they bring him back to life, praise Jesus. And we're driving to Florida. And uh, so we're heading down there because that's just really overwhelming. And there's all sorts of stuff, you know, like any son and their dad got issues growing up, trying to figure out all those things. And somehow I had gotten in my mind that the way that my dad would love me the most is if I performed really well. And it wasn't, <laughs> well, I guess that, the detriment for them, so weird, is that they just celebrated me a whole bunch. They celebrated when I got a basketball scholarship. They celebrated me when I graduated first in my class. They celebrated those things, right? Celebrated, which is so nice of them to celebrate. But somehow in my soul, what happened was uh, <laughs> that I was being celebrated, but I kept thinking, oh, that's how I get celebrated. Those are the things I have to do. And so there's just this works-based effort that I've just always been there. And I understood the gospel. I understood it, but I also understood that, uh, that there is a, a level of performance that I needed to do to be able to make make Jesus love me and do the job he's called me to do. There's just this expectation, right? I even heard the things, you know, pastors are above reproach. I'm like, that's really hard because I don't do everything right. And then all of a sudden, some of that got a microscope over it, right? And so all of a sudden, my performance a year and a half ago became a, a real discussion point, right? And so I, I so just really wrestled through, do I even want to be a pastor anymore? Because man, if it's, I just feel like I got to perform and I can't perform good enough. I just can't do those things. And so I go to check on my dad because he's dying. But really what happened is my dad started checking on me daily. He'd call. And here's what's so crazy about parents, and I love it. I could not do anything wrong for them. No matter what, they're on my team. Is everybody else's fault? Not yours, Josh. Not true. But there's a something about the way that my parents loved me and were in my corner. Right? And there's just something that finally, I mean, it took, it took my dad almost dying and you know, dark night of the soul moments, wanting to quit ministry, all those things. We finally to get to a place in my dad where he just, I just knew that no matter what, he loved me. And no matter what, I had a place to live. Right? So all the pressure just kind of fell off because I had parents who loved me. I had a spouse who loved me and I had incredible kids. So no matter what, I had those things, like just the security, and yet it's still temporal security because I almost lost my dad, all those things. But something changed in me where all of a sudden the light bulb cut on and kind of just took off this pressure, this, this pressure to, to perform well. Now, do I still want to do good? Absolutely, because I want to obey God. But I don't do these things because I think if I do them, God's going to love me more. I do them because I just want to be in his kingdom because his kingdom is where I can be fully alive and loved and cherished. And then now, not it is my pressure, not my performance. It's Jesus' pressure and Jesus' performance, and he scored a perfect score. Right? And so when you have that experience, this is when Jesus is going, look, some of you are not going to get it, but it's not because you, you're going to think it's because I'm mean or a tyrant. It's actually just the opposite. It's because you're prideful and arrogant, Josh. You think somehow you really can't perform well enough. And if you can't, you can pretend to perform well enough, and that will give you enough accolades. And so he goes, but I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Good works for the sake of your own value, is evil. Good works. You can build as many wells as you want to. You can build as many wheelchair ramps if you want to. You can feed as many hungry people as you want to. And that on its own, Jesus calls evil because you are not good enough. And this idea that you could trick yourself to believe that down this path somewhere, you can find hope and joy in the kingdom. You cannot so good works apart from God, hear me, is evil. Evil. So what do you do with that? Well, there's only really one step to do. It's only one. It's not like there's 12 steps. You don't have to get your whole life together. You don't have to plan it all out. You don't have to make this big sign. Or, oh, you know what you got to do? 
walked through the kingdom, walked straight into the heart of Jesus. Many of you will not do it because it's too simple and it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. So your pride and my self-righteousness are roadblocks. And he is saying to these people, why are only a few going to be saved? Because many of you are going to wait for that door to shut. You go, okay, yeah, try all the other stuff. Now I'll come. And I go, I don't know you. Verse 28, it says this. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves cast out. So this is really interesting because he's talking to a religious crew and they know Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Those are their patriarchs. Those are their daddy's 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 daddy, right? They were in the club just because they had the right pedigree, right? And so he's going to go, and I don't understand this theologically. We'd have to take some time to kind of work through what this means about the kingdom of heaven, what it means for eternity. Like, does that mean you can be outside the kingdom of heaven in this horrific kingdom that, where there's hell and weep, fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth and see the rest of it. It certainly seems to apply that that's a possibility, but he basically is drawing a line. There's a line of demarcation, and he goes, you're going to see the people that you've kind of followed, but you've made it about their performance, not about my performance, but you are going to cast yourself out. Verse 29, and people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And so these people are going to come from all sorts of places. They're going to get it that it's not about their performance. That's why in these moments of deep brokenness is finally when we cry out to God. Right? It's, that it's in our brokenness that we see God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Right? And so he's going to go, they're going to come from all over. I'm not saying it's going to be empty. There's going to be people who are going to get this. And then he continues, and behold, some, who are, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. This is really interesting. I want you to think about this. If you are outside of the country and you're calling home, do you know what your country code is? Why don't you think about it? All sorts of, you're calling other countries, you got all these codes. Do you know what yours is? One. One, right? We call our president the leader of the free world. You know, we have opinions about what that means, all kind of stuff. But we live, like right now, guys, here we are. I am opening up God's scriptures. We are singing out loud about God's goodness. And not a single one of us is afraid that our life's going to be taken or someone's going to storm in here. We're not looking over our shoulder. Based on what's going on in our world, we have it the best. We have more food in our cupboards, more clothes, in our closets, more money in our 401ks. And he's going, you're going to think it's all about that and some of you are finally going to get it and finally you're going, Jesus, you, you're enough and you're going to get in. But you're going to get in because you've lived this life of this, you know, declaration from your parents and your grandparents said, if it's to be, it's up to you. You better perform well. You better, uh, you know, accumulate all the things. And he's going, some of those who are last, those will be first. And honestly, I praise God for that. Because what I think about right now is martyred Christians in Kabul. You hear, like, people who have lived in poverty, and I think about 19-year-old girls in China who are working their tails off to get the gospel and Bibles in people's hands and leaving, you know, leading cell churches all over the place. I think about what's going on in North Korea, right in Iran, and those folks are trusting God because they have nowhere else to go, right? They have no other place to trust, and they think about in these places where they literally are being martyred for their belief, and the good news is they will be standing before God in his kingdom, and the first will be last, the last will be first. In verse 31, it says this, And at the very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. <laughs> That's so funny. So he's actually talking about this obedient path that we got to walk down. And now all of a sudden he goes first and last. And he goes, oh, oh no, here's the deal. Herod hates you. This is Herod the Tetrarch. He uh, literally means our Antipas. He, he has like a fourth of, you know, Herod the Great's kingdom. That's going to be Galilee. That's where Jesus is from. And so they're going, Herod wants to kill you, right? Herod's got all sorts of dysfunctional family. He takes his half-brother's wife and, you know, he... He, he's the one who had his uh, stepdaughter possibly seduce him into, you know, cutting off John the Baptist's head. Just a really, really broken person. This religious person goes, hey, 
we want you to leave because if Herod knows that you're talking to us, then we're going to get in trouble too. You see this. The God of the universe is right in front of them. And what do they choose over the God of the universe? Comfort and security. These religious folks right there, they have the God of the universe. Jesus is in the flesh teaching his scriptures to them. And he, they tell them to go. Why? Because their Lord, their Savior is actually comfort and security. They go, you got to go. Because if Herod hears that you are with us, we're in trouble too. We're not going to be associated with you. We have this plan. Now it's on this side. We're going to try to do some partial things. We're going to keep slaughtering the lambs, having the Passover meals. We're going to keep going to the synagogue, and we're going to keep giving our money. But we're not going to give you our heart. We're not going to follow our lives fully into you, right? And so he, they go, hey, Herod wants to kill you. Will you go? And watch what he says. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. This is a pejorative. Uh, and just would have been on the list of unclean animals. Uh, not like, maybe there's some description about him being cunning, but this is more just a pejorative about being an unclean animal. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third will finish my course. He goes, okay, okay that's fine. You can tell him I'm here. And here's what you can tell him. Today and tomorrow, I'm making this place look like the kingdom of heaven. I am bringing heaven to earth. I am casting out demons. So people can walk in the fullness that they had. I am bringing healing to their bodies so they can get a picture of what it's going to be like when the kingdom of heaven invades every part. I'm going to give people a glimpse of what's to come, and I'm going to bite them into it. And then he says this. So interesting. They didn't understand at the time. And they, he said, and the third day I'll finish my course. This is so profound. This is, you know, months, many months before Jesus is going to get brutally beaten and murdered and put in the ground. And then on the third day, he's going to come back to life. So Jesus, knowing this is going to be captured, Luke capturing this for us is going, here's the deal. You're going to see glimpses of this. You're going to see Jesus do some really neat things that give you a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. But then, 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 here's how you get full access. You get full access because the same power that conquered the grave in Jesus, Jesus is going to go, look, the only way you get into the kingdom is through me. So let me show you what that looks like. If I can die and my body can defeat death, resurrection power, then guess what happens when you place yourself in me? Guess what that means for your body? You also get to defeat death. This narrow path is how you get it. So he goes, look, I'm going to do some neat things. You're going to see it, and you're going to get a glimpse of what's to come. But you tell Herod that on the third day, I am hitting the ignition button, and it's going to move. This Holy Spirit's going to be available in 2,000 years now. You can tell Herod that they're going to talk about it at CLC in the middle of September in 2021. You got it? Like, this power is going to make it to all places. So you can tell Herod that on the third day, when I die, you can tell him that's how this is going to be. You're going to see that you can have access to the kingdom of God. Verse 33, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow. And the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Remember, he sets his eyes towards Jerusalem. He goes, one of the biggest things we're going to tackle, you'd think it's the Roman government. But what I actually came to tackle is your self-righteousness and your belief that your performance can get you into the kingdom. So how does he do that? He goes right into the middle of religion. Right into the middle of the checklist that people have, all the rules. Lots and lots of little rules. Lots and lots of performance. And he goes, I'm going to go right in the middle of it. And I'm going to die for those checklists. And I'm going to invite you to tear them up. Throw them away. Quit trying to perform. Quit trying to earn your own righteousness. I'm going to go right in the middle of the most demonic ideas in this world that somehow you can earn your salvation and get yourself in the kingdom. And I got to go there. So cannot be because I'm on my way today and tomorrow because Jerusalem is where I'm going to die. Jerusalem is where I'm going to be raised from the dead. And Jerusalem is where I'm going to activate this mission. Verse 34. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. That city that kills the prophets and stones, those are sent to it, right? He's going, oh, Jerusalem, you religious people, you know your fathers. They literally murdered the people who came and spoke on behalf of me, pointed you all and your families to the Messiah, and you just murdered them because you thought it was about your performance. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? This isn't chastisement. He goes, oh, do you understand you can be welcomed in right now. Like a hen gathers little baby chicks, right? In the covering of that. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's amazing. Like they just cover and protect. And Jesus is going, you can have that. You can obediently walk into my arms and be covered by my wings. And you can do that today. And it has nothing to do with what you've done before. It has nothing to do with your performance. It's all about you finally taking the step to go, Jesus, I'm all in. This isn't partial. 
This isn't delayed. Today, I'm going to trust you fully. I'm going to walk in your kingdom. So, Jesus, I'm going to step fully into you, and I'm going to ask that you would set my eyes on your mission, and you would point me where you would have me go. Jesus, I'm going to go fully in, be fully covered by you. Would you point me where I need to go? I told you, I told you, I told you. What you see throughout the scriptures and in our lives is actually our obedience. This tends to kind of showcase God's omnipotence. You're going, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? I'm going, I'm telling you, he will. I hate leaving, guys. Don't get me wrong, I'm excited to be next to our family, and I'm excited to get back into that church planning role, but I can't talk about this because it seems weird to play the victim role. Poor me, because I'm literally abandoning you all. I'm leaving right in the middle of God's greatest work, and I hate it, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're sad. I'm sorry that you're disappointed. I'm sorry that this probably feels abrupt and urgent. A month from me announcing it will be gone, but I hardly believe, sorry, man, I hardly believe this is God's calling for our lives. And I think as we walk in this obedience, it activates God's powerful work both here at the Christian Life Center and in Bartow, Florida. So I think this is a both and. Don't love it at this point. But I'm telling you, our best option is always to obey Jesus. I'll tell you, we had this urge, oh man, nine years ago to move from our house to a little bitty neighboring town where half the, a third of the city couldn't even read or write. Schools are terrible. And we move into this place. We take our kids. Julie's pregnant with Amelia as we make the decision to go plant this little church. And it was grueling and painful for our family. We just had an executive pastor or director embezzle a lot of money. So the church had no money. I was working a couple of jobs. We were renovating this house. And I had no idea what God was doing. No idea. It did not make any sense. Did not make any sense. And it was overwhelming and it required more work than I could perform. And I was exhausted. And it was not a good season for our marriage. It was all those things. But a couple years into that little church plant, this little girl who's a, you know, a sophomore in high school or junior in high school comes up to me and says, hey, I have a friend. And her, uh, she's pregnant. And uh, she doesn't want to abort the baby. And she hears that you, our church does foster care and adoption. Do you know anybody who will do it? And I said, absolutely. Hey, we got it. Don't even ask me else. Julie and I will do it. And are you sure? And I'm like, well, you can go ask Julie. So she goes into the... <laughs> don't tell her. And so they go into the little workroom. Julie was overseeing our children's ministry at this church. And uh, so she met her in there and didn't know that we talked and asked her, hey, do you know anybody? And Julie says, absolutely. And over the next nine months in this <laughs> rough church plan, as God was repairing our marriage and doing some really incredible things, we walked with this teenage girl up into the delivery room where little Sophie was born. I didn't know it at the time. But that step of obedience, which was painful, was activating God's omnipotence to bring this beautiful little girl that he always was going to know was going to be our daughter. So even if we can't see it, even if we can't feel it, he is working. He is working. And this is what, so he says, O Jerusalem, and then verse 35, he says this, Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to quote, Jesus is quoting the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 168 or somewhere around there. But what he's saying is, you won't see it. You won't even be able to experience it. You won't even understand it's happening. You will not until you open your eyes and say that I am sent from the Lord because I am God in the flesh and you bring yourself fully into him. You will not see it. Blessed are your house is forsaken and you will, you will not see me. You will not see it. Where you go, I don't know. Is he there? He's there. And I promise you. The next step is you take whatever that step of obedience is and then you open your eyes. That's it. You take the step and you open your eyes. And he goes, when you, call that I, when you call on the name of the Lord, when you declare I came from God and I am God and I came to rule and reign and pay the price for your sin, the wages of your sin is death, but the gift, when you acknowledge me as the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. When you see that and only when you state that will you see me at work in it. And so I just would double dog dare you 
to declare that Jesus is Lord and he is our only hope and ask him to come into you and you walk fully into that through that gate and then ask him to show you what he's up to and then ask him to point you in the direction you should go and then ask him to fuel you and empower you with his spirit so that you can do his work and then and only then will you see Jesus' hand in all of it. So, it's an act of of obedience. Faith is an action word. We step into Christ, and at that moment, what happens is there's this ignition button where his power and his might is placed all over you and all around you, and you will see the goodness of the Lord in these days. So what's going to happen is the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing a song that we've sang over and over again for the last 15 weeks. Probably the last time you'll hear it for a while. But we're going to make this declaration that Jesus is Lord and he is better than all the other things in life. So would you have the courage to take these words and make them your own as you figuratively take the step into the kingdom, fully obedient, immediately obedient right now, and then would you actually live these words this week? And so would you guys lead us as we sing? Would you guys stand with us? I pray over each of you in our sanctuary out in our parking lot and online if we can do anything for you would you please text us or call us 610-869-2140 while I want to challenge you to walk in obedience understand that's hard and one of the beauties of what God does is he gives us the local church 
to walk with one another. And so would you give us the opportunity to do that? If you're brand new, would you let us know that you're here? But let me pray over each of you as you walk in obedience this week. And so God, I love this church and I love these people. And yet you love them immeasurably more than I ever could. And your plans for them are immeasurably more than we could imagine. And so God, let's pray two very specific things. But your Holy Spirit, God, give us the wisdom to know how to follow you. Like to know what, what path we're walking down. God, would you please write this second in our hearts. God, speak to us about your call to obedience. Would you be clear of your calling? And God, would you then not just be give us the wisdom to know what to do. God, would you actually give us the courage to do it? And when we, as we walk in obedience, see your power and your might and your love all around us as we serve you because you love us, may we live in the fullness of your kingdom right here today. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.